We're going to be reading, I'll be reading, please listen, the uh, words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Happy summer. We're at, what, it's three days in now, right? Is that right? Yeah. Glad to uh, be here to worship with you. I spent the week in South Carolina with a bunch of other pastors in our denomination uh, from around the country. We meet once a year called the General Assembly and uh, do the work of the church together um, more broadly. But I also had some time with God um, and feel some refreshment from him, so I'm thankful to have gotten that time, and I'm thankful to be back with you this morning to worship together. Let's pray as we approach the word, and then we'll get in, we'll dig in together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you for the fact that um, you have not left us to ourselves. You have not left us alone or abandoned or forsaken, but that you have sent us Jesus to take that forsakenness, to take that abandonment, to take all of those things so that we could draw near to you in boldness and confidence and peace. We come to you now, Lord, uh, in that peace, and we ask to learn from you. We ask to depend upon you with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, through the grace of your Holy Spirit, through the power of your Holy Spirit, as we'll talk about. And uh, we just ask that you would meet with us here. Transform us through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so practicing again. We've got the fans on. Uh, the doors are open. If uh, I drop my voice to make a point, you say, what was that? All right, ready? So I'm going to drop my voice to make a point. Okay, everybody feel good about that? Don't be bashful. We just prayed in groups, so you don't have to be bashful about saying, hey, what was that, Pastor? Then I'll, I'll speak up and make the point again. Hey, we've come into... An amazing passage. This has been an amazing passage to me. Andy talked about how we want our focus to be deepening in our prayer, deepening in our reliance upon the gospel. And this is an amazing prayer from Scripture. It's Paul's prayer in Scripture for the church in Ephesus. And um, just pause with me, if you might, thinking about, think about a movie screen. Think about this as a movie where Paul is um, shown to be kneeling down He's kneeling down and he's about to pray in the movie, but there's much that's gone on as he begins to pray. Look at the first word that he uses in his prayer. Verse 14, right? He says, for this reason. Okay, so imagine him bowing down. He's saying, for this reason, what do you have to do in a movie at that point? 
you have to have like backstory, right? So it fades out and it fades into the backstory of everything that's gone on. Paul is referring to an enormous span of time in redemptive history when he talks about for this reason. So he talks about in, in the earlier part of the chapter three here, he talks about a mystery that's been revealed, a mystery. And that mystery is connected with the unfolding of redemptive history throughout the ages. And so the first thing that you need to know about that history is that God sets up humanity to rule and reign in his representation of him. Rule and reign. The, the term, the seminary term for it is vicegerency, right? That humanity was set up to reign with God's power, with God's authority, with God's image over all of the earth. Dignity, right? We were were set up. Humanity was set up to reign. And so there was a representative in humanity, the first man, Adam. And the problem is, is that first man failed in representing God. And he also represented all of us, and so we failed in him. And so the unfolding of redemptive history begins to happen where God says, okay, what are we going to do about this rebellion against me and relationship against me? Which is essentially how Adam failed in his representation. He wanted to become his own ruler, his own authority, his own master. And so God begins to establish a people that are distinct from the rebellious people of the earth. And he begins to work through them as his representative. In fact, Adam was called his son. Israel, as he begins to build the redemptive story, is called his son in several different places, right? Same kind of representation, only through people. But what happens? His people fail. You look at the kings, the great kings, even David, who's heralded as, as a, God after, a man after God's own heart. What happens? Adultery? Murder? Right? He's not very clean as far as just being totally upright and pure. He's a, he fails in a lot of ways. So that happens throughout history. The kingship fails. The nation state fails. God's rulership through his people, his people's representing him through ruling in his name fails. And the kingdom is divided apart and there's exile and there's silence. God is no longer present with his people for about 400 years. And then what happens? God speaks. God speaks. And the mystery of the ages, how is God going to do this? How is God going to restore not only man's uh, rightful place as ruler over the earth, men and women ruling with dignity and power and authority representing God, how is he going to restore that? But one of the things lost at the very beginning was communion with God himself, fellowship, friendship, walking in the garden with God at the cool of the day. And that was lost too. And so there's a mystery that's bubbling along and there's this word throughout redemptive history about a Messiah that would come, about a representative ruler who would rule rightly, who would reign and rule over the earth rightly. And we would be represented by him and God would be represented by him and communion with God would be restored. Paul says coming back, sort of starting to fade back into the movie frame where we're starting here, Paul says, that mystery of Christ, verses 3 and 4, that, that mystery hidden for ages in God, verse 9, he tells us what the mystery is. It's a surprise. 
It's very much a surprise. Now think about it. All of that redemptive history that we just talked about is about God calling out a a people, a person, a representative for himself to do it in the right way, to do it in a way that honors God. And yet there's failure and failure and failure. And yet there's a hope that the representative will come. But the hope is in through this distinct people, through this distinct calling. And what happens? Paul says the mystery... The mystery, verse 6, is that the Gentiles... Sorry, this is earlier in the passage. Remember, it's still backstory. We're still zoomed in to this backlog of what happened before. Verse 6 says, The mystery is the Gentiles are partakers of the promise in Jesus Christ through the gospel, fellow heirs, members of the same body. The unsearchable riches of Christ are preached to the Gentiles. Verse 8. Verse 9. So that light would be brought to everyone. Light would be brought to everyone. So there's a, the mystery is not that there's one distinct people doing one distinct thing, living in one distinct way, but that there are people from every nation, no matter how you've lived, no matter how you've rebelled against God, no matter who you are and what you've done and where you've been, that will be brought into the story, will be brought into the storyline and made co-heirs with the representative Jesus, the one who's represented you. All right? How is this revealed to Paul? He said in verse 5, early in the chapter, by the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, we'll get this, is through his spirit that we know certain things about these promises. Verse 11 says the eternal purpose, the eternal purpose. God has been doing this all along throughout all of redemptive history. His eternal purpose is this mystery is revealed, that no matter who you are or where you're from, you can be brought into the kingdom of God through what he's done in Jesus. Okay? And so Paul says that through the church, why does he do this? Why does God reveal this manifold mystery in Jesus? It says, verse 10, again, before our our section, verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And so then we, we zoom back into our frame where Paul is kneeling down and he's ready to pray for the church. He's ready to pray for what we need. And he's kneeling down, and we've zoomed back in. Do you see what's happening? For this reason, because of the great surprise, because the Gentiles are being brought in too, because people from every nation are being brought into the kingdom through the work of Jesus, I'm going to pray. And he's going to pray for what the church needs. And what you should see there, you should be on the edge of your seat because you're like, I need that too. I need that too. What does it mean? What is he praying for? What does that mean to me? How do I need it in my daily life? How do we need it together corporately? And so we're going to look at it. It says, for this reason I pray. Uh, I'm going to talk about power first and the idea of the power that we'll need. And then we're going to talk about knowledge and the type of knowledge that we experienced. We touched on it briefly last week, but we'll see it again this week in particular. And then we'll look, at, um, we'll look at the one who is the fullness of all those things, who brings us the fullness of all those things and frees us to deepen in our relationship with God, to have friendship with God again. All right? So power, knowledge, and, and the great exchange, basically. Power, knowledge, and the great exchange. Okay? Um, I've been reading a book, you know, one of the things I've been concerned with is, how many of you are faced with more work than you can do? 
Raise your hand. Okay? Few of you know what that's like. More work than you can do. And so one of the challenges that you face uh, is how do I take the energy I have and budget it so that I'm most effective in all the things that I need to do? Right? And how do I then rest becomes a crucial question. uh, A friend of mine recommended a book called The Power of Full Engagement. And he says, you know, one, one of the interesting things is that in sports, we love baseball, we love sports. You take a baseball player and they, and they pitch. Let's say they pitch almost the whole game. And maybe they pitch a couple games or they play a couple games, but then there's time off. Or they play for a season and then there's what? After the season, there's what? There's rest. And in between games, often there's what? Rest. And even on the pitching roster, there's what? Rest. There's rotation, rotating pitchers in and out, right? So in the thing that when, one of the things we love to follow most, one of the things you see most clearly is that rest is built in. You need time to renew. You need time to renew. And one of the dangers of facing too much on your plate in every sort of from every corner is that you won't take the time that you need to rest. You'll feel the, the pressing down of all of these responsibilities. You'll feel the urgency to get them done. And so resting becomes difficult. And so this book talks about, in our time, our relationship to work is very different because we don't take time to rest. The executive or uh, just the, the school teacher or anybody doesn't take the time, the pastor doesn't take the time that we need. We don't take the time that we need to rest as, so we can be most effective in our work. And so this book uh, talks about how you can work into your work week a pattern of rest, whether it's physical rest uh, and replenishment, whether it's psychological rest and replenishment, whether it's emotional rest and replenishment. And they even talk uh, in a limited way about spiritual rest and replenishment. And the only way that ballplayers can go out and pitch and play the game with power, with energy, with effectiveness is to, that their body is healthy and restored and ready. In the same way, the only way that we can uh, come at this passage is to be given power. But the difference is here that the power is not something that we control. The power is something outside of ourselves. Look at what he says. Um, the strength that's needed, he says in verse 16, strengthen with power. Verse 18, that you may have strength. And where's that at? In your inner being, to comprehend, grasp, in some translations, the breadth, length, height, and depth, that according to the riches of his glory. Why are you strengthened? It's according to whose riches? Is it your own? Is it your own talent? Is it your own ability? Is it your own wisdom? Is it the own, your own sort of like ordering of your day, your own skill set? No, it's according to the riches of his glory. Remember this mystery that's been revealed. According to the riches of his glory, through his spirit, <clears throat> verse 20, He's able to do far more than all we ask or think according to the power, his spirit, through his spirit working in us, we're able to do uh, more, he's able to do far more than we ask or imagine. Now, what does this mean? What does it mean to live out of a power that's not our own? One of the, uh, some of you know that I study, like to study Kung Fu. And I study a very particular style. And the reason I study that style is because in conflict, uh, whether it's sports or competition or whatever, even sometimes self-defense in my life, I will tend to use my power, my strength on my own. 
And the problem is, is that usually when you're in conflict, it's usually with something bigger than you, something stronger than you, something that has some experience, right? And so the reason I studied this particular branch of Kung Fu is because if I rely on the system of Kung Fu and trust this external system of ordering my body under pressure, under the pressure of conflict in such a way, if I trust that system, I'm safe. The minute I stop trusting that system, I'm not safe anymore. I'm not safe anymore. I've worked out with people who are this tall who have had me on my butt because they trusted their, their kung fu and I did not. Okay? And so in the same way, there's something going on here where we need to trust in our inner being through his spirit according to his riches. Paul is praying that we're strengthened with power. We need that kind of power. We need that kind of reserve. We need that kind of focus. Well, what's he talking about? Why would we need such power? Why would he pray for that first thing? And he moves on to something that, that we all need to know at some point, which is verse 19, to know the love of Christ. To know the love of Christ. This is a knowledge that is experiential in nature. To know the love of Christ. It's different. It's different than what he says in verse 18. To comprehend, some translations say to grasp, the height and width and length and depth, right? All of that, the comprehend, deals with thinking. We talked a little bit about that last week. This is something different, to know the love of Christ. Look at the words that that Paul puts around it. Verse 17, being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. We've talked about this. There are things in your life that you think you need to be who you are. Some of you are funny. And some of you hold court when there are more than two or three people in a room. And it's great. And you bring out laughter. And some of you are um, frugal. And you know exactly how to stretch a dollar in every way possible. And some of you are um, good at seeing the needs of others. And you're able to anticipate and discern what's needed. And some of you are good at other things. But the problem the Bible says, the gospel says about relationships with those things is that we are in our hearts hardwired to take those good things and turn them into ultimate things. Turn them into ultimate things that we think we need. And and we place our identity on those. And the problem then is when those things are threatened, we feel undone. We feel threatened. That's why the power here to know the love of Christ needs to come out from outside of yourself. It needs to be something external to you, external to what you bring to the picture, that you can come to God and your communion with him can be restored. Now, I want to talk about verse 17 because as you read through this passage and you think through this passage, one of the things Paul prays for, I want you, he prays for Christ dwelling in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, what's wrong with that picture? (laughs) Your immediate response, nothing. Paul wrote it. Okay, fine. But Paul wrote that, and he wrote that to Christians. What's wrong with that picture? It's not that there's anything wrong with it, but it should set off like a a warning bell in in your mind. Why? Because by definition, Christians are what? Those who have Christ dwelling in their hearts through faith. So what's he praying for? What's he praying for? 
He's praying that it would move from head knowledge to heart knowledge, that you would experience the spirits of God, Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, in his presence and power personally inside of you, that you would know it. Now look, I know that it might seem strange for some of you that a Presbyterian pastor is talking like this experientially about the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit dwelling in us. But that's exactly what Paul's talking about, so we're not going to shy away from it. We can't shy away from it, and there's joy to be found here. He says in verse 19 that this Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith surpasses knowledge. Think about all of redemptive history. Think about the flow that we talked about, right? Communion is lost. Communion is lost, but it's restored in Jesus, and it's not just given to a particular people, but made available to any kind of person anywhere. Think about Paul and Acts. Some of you haven't read Acts. It's okay. What's interesting is that the the gospel of God, the power of Christ's spirit, making people new, restoring them, goes out to different kinds of people. You see it with Lydia, who's equivalent to a business executive who's a cloth merchant, right? And she is transformed by the gospel. You see it in a slave girl who's actually possessed, demonically possessed, and she's delivered by the power. And you see it in the jailer, who is like a blue-collar worker, and he knows the facts, and he knows what makes people tick, and he sees how people give under pressure, and he sees the darkness of people because he's tending to a prison, and he sees all of that. And yet he comes to know Jesus through the transforming love that the men that, that the men in prison showed, right? So d- the gospel comes to different kind of people and transforms us no matter where we're at. It's part of the mystery that's been revealed. But there's experience of God in that. There's experience of God in that. There's an account of one man who... Um, I get, you know, people don't like to talk about this a lot, and so I'm going to draw out some of these examples so that you can just hear... Uh, there's an ex- example of one man who wrote, was writing a, fr- a letter to uh, another friend, and he said, I don't know why I haven't seen this about prayer before, but what I'll do is I'll go into prayer not immediately asking for things. I'll go into prayer, and I will begin to uh, use Scripture as my entry point in. I use the scripture, and I'll take that scripture, and I'll uh, chew on it. I'll take one word of a passage that I'm reading, and I'll just dwell on that word, and I'll focus on it, and I'll think about what that word brings out. Luther's exam- Martin Luther in the Reformation, his example of this was just using the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it this morning. It's something that we all know, and so you have that scripture in you. You can use it, all right? So our Father who art in heaven, what does our tell us about who God is? who we are. What God has done so that we can pray our. Think about the message here today where everybody from all around the world, no matter what nation you're from, no matter what you've done, has a chance to come into God through believing what Jesus has done. Think about that. So our, our Father who art in heaven. What does Father teach us about God? What does Father teach us about us? What does Father teach us about uh, commands to obey or, or sins to avoid or, or promises to believe? You see? And so what this guy in his letter said, I, I hadn't seen this before, but what I'll do is I'll warm up through Scripture like that until I feel my heart start to warm and the Holy Spirit begins to preach through Scripture and I begin to talk with him about it. And he said in his letter that, that at one time... God was pouring out a sense of his love and greatness so much that the man finally said, God, too much. 
I have to ask you to stop. Your glory is too beautiful. You're too much. Thank you for for showing up in your presence, but you're more than I can possibly handle. You have to prepare me the next time you show up for that. Paul's prayer, strengthen with power, his power. You want God to show up in your prayer time? Go through scripture as your lens and expect him to show up. You can't make him do it, but when he does, you'll see that you'll need strength to face the beauty, to face the the presence, to face the glory that he now allows you access to through what Jesus has done. Jonathan Edwards is another example. You know, he used to ride along the Hudson River and he would ride on horseback. And he, it was his habit, part of, he had, in the beginning of his life, he followed lists. He liked lists, so he would follow lists. And these are my resolutions. And I would, he would try to make sure that he lived up to all his resolutions. So he was kind of a serious fellow. He was a very thoughtful fellow. We said, I think last week, that he, uh, many of the great educators and scholars in this country thinks that, that Jonathan Edwards is probably the single greatest uh, theologian and philosopher that our country has produced uh, in that combination. So he's enormously smart, um, able to bring that intelligence to bear, and yet he's riding on his horse, and he gets off of his horse as he writes in his journals that he was in the habit of doing, and he's contemplating scripture, again, a window in, right? tethering ourselves to scripture rather than letting our desires which can be misshapen form our prayers you start with scripture and that allows you to challenge your desires and he started going to God through scripture and what happened he wrote that he was on for the better part of an hour as near as he could tell on his face in a flood of tears for that entire time because the beauty and the greatness and the overwhelmingness of the Lord Jesus was so wonderful and so powerful to him and he saw him swallowing up all things in the power of his love and the beauty of his love and the presence of his love and he felt him personally he experienced him personally in that that he just wept he couldn't do anything but weep or uh, another example, bring it home. Um, Ezra was scared one night. And he came to me and said, Dad, I'm really having trouble getting these thoughts out of my head. I'm scared. And he told me sort of what the thoughts were and how they were scaring him. And I said, okay, Ezra, and let's sit down. And we opened up Colossians, which is a great place to go to if you experience any kind of uh, demonic struggle or warfare. Go to Colossians and look at Jesus there. Because in Colossians it says that we, through Jesus, have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. So you know what we did? We began with that scripture and we did just the same thing that Martin Luther did with the Lord's Prayer to warm up or this other gentleman did or Jonathan Edwards did. We began to do that together. Ezra, what does it tell you about... uh, What does it tell you about... What does the word delivered tell you about who God is? that there was something that I was imprisoned by that he's delivered me from. Right. What else does it tell you about God? And we would start to, we'd start to taste it and just like suck on it like hard candy, right? And let it melt in our mouth. And do you know what happened? As we were doing that, about 20 minutes in, Ezra looked up to me and said, Dad, do you feel that? And I said, yes, Ezra, I feel that. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sensing him too. He's ministering to us right now because he wants you to know his truth is more powerful than your fear and his victory conquers the things that you're afraid of and has delivered you from it and transferred you to a different kingdom. And we just sat there together enjoying the presence of God and praying and adoring him. Now look, 
I'm going to bring Presbyterian pastor into it again. Experience does not define the truth. That's why I'm saying you should tether your prayer time to Scripture because our desires cannot be trusted. If you don't know that about yourself right now, you will at some point, so don't let it surprise you. Our desires can't be trusted. And so the reason why we need to enter into prayer and approach God in prayer and tether ourselves to the Scripture is because that's how he works. That's the means of grace. That's how his Spirit informs you. That said... Friends, there's experience of God's presence and joy and power that you need to taste as a Christian. And if you haven't, you need to go to him and you say, Lord, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't, I'm not strengthened with power for this. I haven't experienced this. I don't know you like this. To know the love of Christ, experiential knowledge, verse 19. Friends, as we wrap up, consider with me for a moment why, why, why would God allow us, grant us? The word is grant. Paul prays that we would grant it. Why would God grant us that kind of power to fit us for knowing the love of Christ in that way? Why would he do it? Because, friends, in Jesus, in Jesus, you have one who is our strength. And he lived his life as the right representative. He lived his life strongly committed, perfectly committed. And he lived his life in perfect communion with his Father. So that when you believe in him, you're in that. You're in that. You remember the example we used, I don't know, maybe a few months ago, where the, uh, it's a simple example. It helps to some extent. There's, uh, imagine two books. All right? And in those two books are, in one of the books is your life story. Everything you've done. Who you are behind closed doors as well as who you are in the public. Everything you are, every sin that you've had, every uh, success that you've had, every failure you've had, it's all there. And God's judgment is aimed at that book. And your name is on it. And now imagine another book. And in it, you've got everything that Jesus has done. You've got his life. You've got all of the perfect ways that he lived without sin. You've got his death, taking the penalty that you would have received on your behalf. You've got him raising again from the dead, victorious over the power of sin and death, so it cannot keep a hold on you. And you've got him sending your spirit, his spirit, into you so that you can experience his presence and be strengthened. You've got those two books, and in the gospel, it's like... The covers of the books, the names on those books are switched so that your name is now on Jesus' book and God judges you through his works and what he's done and his righteousness. And you've got Jesus, when you come to him, when you come to believe in him, you've got Jesus' name on your book and God judged him in your place so that you wouldn't have to stand before God in your book. You can stand before God in Jesus' book. Look at uh, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. This was, this was part of the mystery that was revealed leading up to this prayer that he's praying. In whom, through our faith in him, we have boldness and access with confidence. In the temple, 
when God's glory was on the temple, there was only one person who would go in once a year, it was the high priest, into the Holy of Holies without being burned up and consumed by God's presence. And in the gospel, Jesus was consumed by the wrath of God so that you could have boldness of access. The curtain, if you remember, was torn in two. We can approach God's presence now with confidence, Paul says. And therefore, no matter where you've been, because you can approach with confidence, Paul prays this for you. He was strengthened through his spirit perfectly. He had the most intimate access to the Father perfectly. But you know what happened. Jesus gave away his strength so that in him you could be made strong. Jesus gave away his intimacy with God's and was judged by him so that you could have intimacy with God. Jesus stood in your place to give you an embarrassment of riches. What does he say? He says... that according to the riches of his glory, that you may be filled, verse 19, with all the fullness of God, with all the fullness of God. The communion that was lost is now restored. The relationship, the friendship with God, the walking in the garden in the cool of day that was lost is now restored perfectly in Jesus. You want your prayer life to grow. You want to experience God's presence Paul's setting up how that happens. He's praying that you receive power, and he's praying that you would experience the love of Christ in your heart, that you would know that love, that you would know it. There was one who gave everything for you so that you could experience that. Why? And this is striking. Don't pass over this part. Verse 18. Look at verse 18. That you may have strength to comprehend... With who? With all the saints. How do you think that reflects on what, what the beginning of this, this book talks about? That no matter who you are, where you're from, or what nation you're from, or, or how you've grown up, or what you believed, that Jews and Gentiles alike are being brought into the kingdom through what Jesus has done. And now those who are different can get along together in ways that they've never gotten along. Those who are Jews and Gentiles couldn't eat together. Now they can eat together. They couldn't worship together. Now they can worship together. Reflect on us. Many of us are different. I'm different from you. I'm different from many of your expectations. And yet because of this, we can draw near together in confidence and boldness to God with access. And he says in verse 18 that you're the church together with all the saints, Jew and Gentile alike. Remember, verse 9, bringing light to everyone. Verse 10, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And then verse 21, so that there would be glory in the church, no matter where you come from, no matter who you think you are, what you've done, God makes the light that brings to everyone in Jesus available to you. God makes that light that he brings to everyone. He offers to everyone in Jesus available to you. Will you come and bask in the presence of the living God? Will you seek him not just for knowledge about the gospel, for experience of it, for experience of his presence, testifying with your heart that you're his children through the work of Jesus. Will you come bask in that? Will you seek him for that? Will you let scripture be your tether 
so that you can be challenged in the right ways, so that you can grow and be stretched in the right ways, so that you can know him more deeply. Let's come to him together now as we approach the table. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in dependence upon you. We need you. We need you. And we need the strength through your Holy Spirit so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Father, we do uh, long for an experience of you, greater and greater experience of you. We ask that you would draw us near to you through the truth of your word and through the blessing of your grace and peace to us in Jesus. We come to you now in him. It's in his name.